Tomorrowland Transit Authority, Metroliner nonstop, now departing Rocket Tower Plaza Station for a round-trip Super Skyway Tour. Here's to the future. Here's to the future and you. Please stand clear of the doors. Por favor, manténganse alejado de las puertas. Let's listen to the land we all love. Nature's plan will shine upon. Listen to the land. Listen to the land. Ole! Ole! It's showtime! everybody and welcome to the WDW radio show your Walt Disney World information station I am your host Lou Mangello and this is show number 277 for the week of June 3rd 2012 30 years ago a Disney film was released that would forever change the science fiction genre as well as animation video gaming and the lives of many young geeks like myself smart stylish and fun the game grid of Tron was groundbreaking, and recently, Tron was reborn with the Tron Legacy film and the Tron Arail at Walt Disney World in late 2010, Electronica at Disneyland, and this week, the story continues on Disney XD with Tron Uprising. One of the original film stars was Cindy Morgan, who played the dual role of Laura and Yori, and she joins me this week in an exclusive interview. We talk about her career and roles in iconic films like Caddyshack and, of course, Tron, as she shares stories of the making of the films, the Tron phenomenon, her fans, and much more. I'll then have the answer and winner for last week's Walt Disney World Trivia Question of the Week and pose a new one for your chance to win a Disney prize package. And then I'll have just a few quick announcements before playing more of your voicemails at the end of the show. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. Hey, 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 it's the big master control program everybody's been talking about. Greetings, program! I've got a little challenge for you, Sark. A new recruit. It's a tough case, but I want him treated in the usual manner. Train him for the games, let him cook for a while, and blow him away. I am undoubtedly and unabashedly a child of the 80s. And notwithstanding my hypercolor t-shirt, my Michael Jackson jacket, my parachute pants, capizios, and Ray-Bans, I also grew up in video arcades and on the music and movies of the decade, and even today, my iPhone is filled with nothing but 80s and some Disney music. But I also love the movies as well, and two of my favorites, one comedy and the other sci-fi, included characters that were every teenage boy's dream woman, the beautiful, carefree Lacey Underall and Caddyshack, and the equally beautiful Laura and Yori, who existed inside a video game in Disney's original Tron movie. And I don't know who I had a bigger crush on, but it doesn't matter because both characters were played by the lovely and talented Cindy Morgan. And after 30 years, 
I finally have the pleasure and opportunity to sit down and chat with her. Cindy, I was tempted to sing the I was born to love you, I was born to lick your face song. <laughs> I was born to love you. I was born to lick your face. I was born to rub you. But you were born to rub me first. But instead, I will say yeah. greetings program and welcome to WDW Radio. There you go. Oh, that's too funny. That's too funny. Lou, you've got a lot more personality than you did with the first time I met you at the table at MegaCon. This is really interesting. I, I was. I, I sh- I'm sure that I was like many of the 44-year-old guys that walk up to your table that instantly yeah. become 14 again. And that, so you, that's exactly what happened. It's so, it's so sweet and it's so charming, but so true. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's, it's the funny, it's, it's, it's the sweetest thing to watch, and it's kind of funny because I can see, you know, guys approaching. Well, I'm going to say this to Lacey, and I'm going to say that to Yori, and as they get closer and closer, I start seeing that 14 year old little boy, and I just smile, and then it's all over. So. <laughs> It's, it's pretty funny and embarrassing because it's true. No, not, not, not at all. Not at all. It's, it's charming. You've got to know it is. So, so it's it, it's pretty cool. So, yeah, and so I'm glad you took the time uh, to actually set up an actual interview uh, like this. So, that, because at at a show, it's it you know my head would be going and swiveling in different directions. And this is this is great. We could actually finish a sentence, maybe even a conversation. <laughs> yeah, we met briefly at the D23 Expo in California. We met again, right. like you said, over at uh, at MegaCon, but it's great right. to be able... And, you know, I wasn't kidding when I said, you know, I sort of waited 30 years to be able to talk to you because <laughs> I was a huge fan. I'm a, I'm a fan first of uh, of both films. And uh, look, I, I w- like I said, I was a, a child of the 80s, and you can interpret that very easily to mean that I was a total <laughs> nerd. Uh, I loved watching sci-fi movies like Tron over and, and over and over again. Oh, dear. Um, <laughs> it, you know, rumor has it, Cindy, and I yeah. cannot imagine this, that you were sort of a bit of a nerd growing up, too. And I will tell you, no one, no girl in the computer club looked like you. <laughs> I wasn't. I was a nerd, and those super thick glasses I'm wearing in Tron are stunt glasses because I walked in wearing my real glasses in the morning because your eyes get tired, for God's sake. <laughs> and this, the director saw them and said, "That's great. We love the look." So, so the the prop department made me a pair of glasses to wear in the film, which is just screaming hilarious. And yeah, I was a nerd, and I was actually going to go to the Illinois Institute of Technology initially uh, to study mechanical engineering, but. And was accepted. I went to the open house, but I came out of 12 years of Catholic school and the last four were all girls and I wasn't ready. I, 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 I could, I was stammering. And so I made a hard left turn and went to Northern Illinois, majored in speech, thank God, and communications and uh, changed everything. But I still got to use some technical background uh, when I worked in radio and television. Uh, I got my FCC license and, and did morning drive in Chicago, which was a great experience and ran camera and sound, which helped me when I got to Caddyshack. Yeah, so, and it's funny because it's we sort of had parallel lives growing up wearing thick glasses and going to all yeah. boys or all girls Catholic schools. <laughs> but, oh, okay, so you know, yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah, it was, it was a whole different, it, it, yeah, and by the time I got to college, I mean, I probably shouldn't say this, but here it is, I found out within a month I really didn't have to crack a book. I pretty much knew how to answer the question by the way it was asked. Uh, we had a very good curriculum in high school and, uh, but I learned about everything else. I, I, I learned about uh, social skills, and I and, and I got three jobs in my if, a field while I was in school. I, I had two jobs in radio and one in television, and one of those radio jobs was a commercial job, which helped, as you know, very important. Work gets work, so that helped me get the next job. 
Yeah, so how do you go from, you know, growing up with the, with the thick glasses with the tape on it and pocket protector to becoming yeah. the actress? Clearly, I got over it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I got into communications, and I, I wasn't a good speaker. I was a terrible speaker. I had a stammer, but I was a good writer. And in the first, uh, the first thing I had to write in speech, communica- speech communications class was uh, the, the, the professor said, just write a, uh, a speech on how to make something. Just how to make something, anything, and 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 why is that I can I say that on Disney <laughs> <laughs> uh, that I was I wrote a, I wrote a, a little speech on the assembly and disassembly of your average squirt gun and I read it straight face and the 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 students cracked up they just thought it was the funniest thing they ever heard and she called me over and she said you're good at this you should do this and that's all I needed to hear so from that point from being very shy and re- feeling restrained I just I just was spring loaded. And just went at everything that I was afraid of, and which was first radio. And I remember the first time I was live on the air, I couldn't feel my arms from the elbows up. <laughs> I went numb, completely numb. I was reading the news. I couldn't feel a thing. And then by the time I got to Chicago, I was like, I, I, I thought I was a real hotshot. I thought I knew everything. So you know, it was, it was pretty fun. Yeah, and so let's kind of go back to your uh, your first kind of major role. You uh, you take it now. Let's go back first. You take a stage name. Is it true that your stage name Morgan was from Morgan Le Fay, that from King Arthur? Well, yeah. You know, the the, the thing is, when I had those jobs in in, in college, um, I was at two on the air at two radio stations in DeKalb, Illinois, at the same time, and and for some reason. Uh, the, the the commercial station said, well, you're going on the air tonight, but you have to have a different name. We don't care what it is. It, like, that's going to fool everybody. Or they were even <laughs> paying attention. I, I, I don't know. So, so I, I, and I, I, I had to make an instantaneous choice. And, and I remember reading that story when I was 12 thinking, how cool is that? Because the Morgan character that's being played out on the sci-fi channel is clearly different than the one <laughs> I read. Um, uh, I mean, and there's a, this. This is this is an archetypical figure that comes up in myths and legends all over the place, and there are many different aspects of this character. But but the way I read it when I was twelve was that this is a woman who made her own choices and created her own reality. And how cool was that for somebody who was so shy and such a nerd? Someone who could create this illusionary, who could who could do these things. So so I just without thinking said Morgan. So I was Morgan that night. So on the way out of college, I sent out resumes with photos and first I sent out Cindy Sikorsky and um, didn't hear anything back and then Cindy Morgan went out shortly after and Cindy Morgan got the job <laughs> so Cindy Morgan went to work and that was it yeah so let's let's kind of start with that first uh, really major motion picture role because coming from your background it, it sounds like Lacey was you know a, a yeah. bit of a stretch um, oh, what was stretch. the attraction <laughs> I'm reading the script going, well, this is so not me. I've got nothing to lose here. So I'll just go in and do what I want. <laughs> well, they like that, apparently. And 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 then and it wasn't until I went to the final audition and I looked at the call sheet and I saw I was the only one reading for that character that day. I went, oh my God, these guys are taking this seriously. They lost their minds. What am I gonna do? And I walked out to the parking lot and I went, oh gee, you know, I, I and and I thought, all right, just pull it together, just just focus on one thing, just one thing. And I remember thinking, I'm just going to focus on the, who I'm reading with and pray to God it's a man this time and make him sweat. And that's all I did. And and it, when I saw Doug Canny sweating, uh, I knew I had the job. <laughs> well, and it looked like one of those films that I could only imagine had to be a fun movie to make. It looked like, like some of the other oh. comedies of the late 70s and early 80s, I think things like Blazing Saddles, you know, it yeah. possibly couldn't even get made today. 
No, 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 no. Because well, some of the the, the political details are are very um, specific to the time uh, that they were made. So so some of the jokes are specific to that point in time. Whereas Caddyshack, we I know you've heard probably the script was just kind of tossed aside and uh, <laughs> uh, you know everybody I, I, you know on both films I've got to tell you the truth I just stopped reading the script and, and the call sheet and what we were shooting that day because it really didn't matter anymore I would just show up for work <laughs> and go all right what. Now what are we doing? And okay, you got some sides and some pages because to look at just to give me a guideline, you know, just so I know what's going on today. Because on Caddyshack, it was a, a damn free-for-all. And thank God I had already learned to run camera and sound and knew who belonged there and who didn't and where the scene was and where the camera was following. Because uh, I, I did get some acting classes really quickly, thank God. One of them was improvisation, which helped enormously. Because coming from broadcasting, I had to learn one thing that I didn't know how to do. I didn't know how to listen. I know that sounds hard to believe. <laughs> and let the other person take the lead. And that was important. Um, Harvey Lembeck, my improv coach, said, Morgan, shut up. Stop it right there. Stop talking. You're going for the joke. Stop it. I go, yeah, but I'm funny. I don't want to hear it. Stop talking. And uh, he said, you're the straight. Set up the joke. And uh, he go, and that actually is, is kind of important. You wouldn't have... You know, I mean, I hate to go way back, but you wouldn't have Abbott without Costello. I mean, right. I mean you, you need there has to be the audience's point of view, which is the straight pretty much in the in the film. And and luckily, these guys were just so damn brilliant. All I had to do was listen. Well, I mean, and, you're, you're working with legends of comedy and yeah. the SNL grads, Bill Murray yeah. and Chevy Chase. So yeah. you probably didn't have much of a choice as to just sort of let them just go and do their thing. Oh, I had choices. <laughs> no, 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 no. Let me back you up there for a second. First of all, as soon as I knew who I was working with, I stopped watching SNL because I didn't want to be intimidated on the set. I just wanted to go in and react without, you know, without choking. I, I just wanted to do my job. And um, yeah, these guys are strong, very strong. Uh, but but some of the best work I did when we, I was going head to head with, with a couple of men. And, you know, it is what it is. You know, when that camera's rolling, it's an even playing field. So, you know, anything goes. Yeah, and obviously some of the scenes that you had uh, with Chevy Chase are the ones that are most memorable. How much of that was, well, you were talking about, scripted and just you and Chevy just going off and doing your thing? Whole bunches were <laughs> Chevy doing his thing and me going, why am I here? <laughs> that, the, the, the piano song that you were going to sing, I don't know if you've heard this already, but but I was getting, we, we, we were doing love scenes, which are not romantic, in a house in South Florida, then we've got the giant Klieg lights on over there, and it's like maybe 100 degrees in the house plus humidity. And after two days, you're really tired and a little, little, little fed up with the whole thing. And I'm getting my makeup touched up because, you know, it's, it's hot. It's and, and Harold Ramis comes over and said, come over here and sit down. I went, what? You know, why? <laughs> and he goes, just, just come here and sit down and ask Chevy to sing you a love song. I said, fine. You know, we're burning daylight, but fine. And I sat down and said, sing me a love song. And I look at him and he launches into the song. He snorts the salt, throws the tequila, <laughs> singing. And out of my, the corner of my right eye, I can see the red light on the camera. I went, those guys are filming this. And I went, God. And I looked in front of me. I saw the tequila. And I, I took a shot. And, oh, it was tequila. Um, and, uh, and, and just, we just did the scene. I mean, I, you can tell that that reaction, you can't make up a reaction <laughs> like that. And, and then when we were doing the, the, the acupuncture scene, some of that was in the script, but a whole bunch of it wasn't. Um, we had had a couple of conversations previous to this and they were passionate. 
conversations. And then we went to shoot the scene and I, then he decided it would be a funny thing to dump a bottle of baby oil on my back. <laughs> but I, you know, if you look at my eyes, I, I'm thinking I'm not going anywhere, pal. I'm staying right here. <laughs> so do what you want, but I'm not leaving. <laughs> and, uh, and there was the scene. And, and honestly, it was the best work we did. And I was, I'm so proud of it. I got to tell you. Well, it's still, you know, we'll talk about this later. It still sort of holds its own uh, all these years later. But how does that gap from Caddyshack and beyond eventually lead to Tron, which comes out in a couple of years? It does. It actually all made sense. There, there actually is a, a tie. While I was studying comedy improv before I went to Caddyshack um, with Harvey Lumbeck, he had three classes of 24. And I was in the, in the, in the, the, the bottom class of 24. But in his master's class, I was dating one of the guys in the master's class of 24. And in that class, they had John Ritter. Penny Marshall and Robin Williams. It was a good class. And I was dating one of the guys from that class. And he took me to lunch with some director for some cartoon he was doing. This is before Caddyshack, I believe. And I'm eating lunch and I'm listening to them talk about this cartoon. And it sounds great. But, you know, I was eating lunch. So I, I didn't pay. I really wasn't paying much attention. And I didn't work for a long time after Caddyshack. Not really sure why. Uh, but I was told I wouldn't work again. I don't know what the real, real reasons were. But I, I had very few auditions for the next year. Actually, literally, I had more lunches with my agents than auditions, which <laughs> another thing I wasn't real happy about. I changed that situation right quick. Um, but but I, uh, suddenly I get this call to not come in and read for a casting person, but to come in and be put on tape with Jeff Bridges for the director, which is bypassing all the middle ground. Hmm. And I didn't know why. I just went, OK. So I came in to read to be put on tape with Jeff Bridges. And, and clearly a lot of Tron, a lot of the dialogue out of context makes little or no, no sense uh, to, to the average bystander. Even now, you really have to be into it to understand what's going on. And But I figured, okay, here I am. There's Jeff. He looks nice. And there's a director. And they got a camera. I know what to do. So I, I, I was on tape. And um, that was Tron. The lunch I was at with that guy I was dating was he was originally set to play Tron. A year and a half, two years later, he was out. I was in. Hmm. And many years later, I said, was that Tron that we went to lunch where He goes, yes. And I've forgiven you, and I'm never taking another after lunch again. Um, I said I didn't know, and you know I did. I had no idea. So it was at that lunch the director Stephen Lisberger saw me and had cast me. It was down to me and Deborah Harry without thinking. He had his vision in mind of who was going to play Yuri and Laura. So when you come in, I mean, look, this this nothing like a, a film like this had ever been done before. No. How do they sort of explain this <laughs> probably very foreign concept to you? Foreign doesn't even, foreign would make it easier. At least I'd have a reference point. Uh, there was nothing that had ever been done before. The first thing that was shown to me was um, a computer animation. I don't know if you've ever taken an art 101 class, but the human figures done with ovals in, in, you know, to make the, the upper, upper arm, the lower arm, the upper leg, the lower. It was a series of ovals that looked like a puppet figure. And it said, we're going to animate like this. And I'm looking at that going, okay, you know, uh, fine. You know, and, and then, you know, I worked green screen before because I'd done the weather, so I knew what that was. But this was not green screen or blue screen. This was shot completely in black and white, which didn't matter because either way, there's nothing there. Um, and uh, we, I, you know, I read this, this story. And again, I, I just took it for what it was, just like when I worked in radio and, and I would get a commercial or when I worked in television, I would get a commercial. I just took it at face value. Walked in the studio ready to go to work. And and I would get a description from Lisberger, Stephen Lisberger, and he'd say, you know, you're running from here to there, and that's trying. And, and, you know, and I'm working with good actors, Bruce Foxleitner, Jeff Bridges. We got along great. So 
I found the reality in their eyes. That's that's where the reality was, because there was nothing there. And also working with David Warner uh, and Barnard Hughes. I mean, when when David Warner told me I was going to die, I believed him. He's a very powerful actor. And Barnard is charming. So the only time I, I took issue with it is, is when well, I came in again, threw away the script. It didn't matter. I, I, I came into work one day and, and Stephen Lisberger said, OK, today you're on the solar sailor. You're on the game. sea. you're flying it, Morgan. Go. I went, all right. I got to stop you right there. What are you talking about? <laughs> there's nothing here. I don't want to be the one to say it, but there's nothing here. This is a black warehouse. The the sounds, it was a sound stage, which is like an empty warehouse, painted black, solid black. There's nothing there. There's a little black riser that with steps to it. And on it is a black banquet table with nothing on it but black felt. What do you want me to do? Exactly. And he said, just do anything. The Disney artist will paint it in later. So I looked down at the black banquet table and said, I better see something because the audience knows when you're lying. Um, and in my mind's eye, I saw a soundboard, which I know how to run. I, 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 again, going back to the sound engineer experience. So in my mind, I saw a soundboard, and this soundboard was moving this forward. The only time we ran into a snag is when Stephen Lisberger came over and said, all right, the three of you are looking in three different directions. What can we do about that? <laughs> And I said, again, again, thank God for all the broadcast background. I said, can you just get a, one, of, one of our grips to take a roll of tape? They've all got tape, gaffer's tape, and just drag it uh, on, on a rope across the floor. Well, at least we'll have a, you know, a, a, something to focus on. We'll have the same uh, point of focus. And we all, that's what we did. I mean, it was, it was pretty much rudimentary, but talk about doing something analog that, that exploded into something else. It was, it was amazing that we, that we did it, and it worked out as well as it did. Well, and you know, you, you really portrayed the same but different characters. I kind of look at Tron as it, it's kind of like Wizard of Oz. You know, Dorothy yes. was in her world in black and exactly. white. This exactly. other world exists on the grid. How do you approach these two characters? I mean, they were sort of mirrors of one another, but they're also a little bit different as well. Um, I had to find something in me that could possibly in my world ever do these things and then amplify it. Yori was extremely difficult because she wasn't a human being. Um, Yori was, uh, and so I had to just reach into some, my frame of reference and dig up the closest thing to it, which would be, if you look at the old movies, the, someone who grew up in a desert Island who really didn't have any interaction with the outside world. So didn't have social skills and, 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 and didn't understand certain things. So she had an innocence about her and yet she had part of Laura's memory, which, and I just had to make some quick choices because there was nothing there that, that I could grip onto. Um, Stephen had a Stephen Lisberger had a really strong vision in his mind, and and it's a good thing he did because he held really hard to it, and that's I think again why I think it held up over thirty years. A, a lot of the dialogue I was agonizing over. I would say, Stephen, I can't say this. My friends are coming to the movie. I can't say this, <laughs> and 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 he'd say. And I say, and I can't understand what I'm saying. And and how is anybody else going to understand? And he goes, well, the movie's not for them. I said, well, they may not come to the movie, Stephen. <laughs> and and you don't win a fight about dialogue when you're arguing with the director, who's also the writer. So right. so just forget that. So there's a line in the film that I choked on. And remember, I told you you can't lie to the audience. There's a line I choked on, and the audience cracks up every time they hear it. And now it's become my favorite line in the movie because. You can't lie to the audience. It, it's that it's the one the one line I just said. I can't say this, and he said, "Say it anyway." And it ended up in the film. It's the line, "Otron, I knew there wasn't a circuit built that could hold you." Inside, I'm like, oh, "No, I can't say this." 
and the audience knows I'm choking on it and they laugh because it, it, because I'm not committing to the line. I mean, I'm not making it my own. I'm, I'm fighting it and they sense it. They know something's wrong and it, it, and it gets them every time. So it's pretty cool. Well, yeah, I mean, again, too, you know, the movie was decades ahead of its time. I mean, you're talking oh, yeah. about concepts that now we understand. But, sure. you know, back then you had no idea what you were talking about. No, of course. And the iPad 3 just came out yesterday. Yeah, at that point, I mean, I said I had some little, at the time, tech background. And, and, and these were all, I'm not, the, he, he, he made concepts out of simple ideas, uh, technical ideas. They became concepts and elaborated them into almost a spiritual belief, which actually worked out in the film. A lot of people, where Caddyshack is a lifestyle to a lot of people, Tron is more of a spiritual attachment. Just by talking to the people I meet, I can, it really means a lot to them on, on a much deeper level. So it's, it's interesting to see. Well, you know, you think about, and look, this is very early on, sort of in the beginning of the sci-fi rage. Just a few years earlier, you know, they're making Star Wars. They think it's just going to be sort of a Western and outer space. Do you kind of, right. as you're doing this, as you're making this film, do you realize at some point you're doing something special or, or that you're going to be talking about it 30 years later? Um, while we were shooting the film, no, because if I was thinking thoughts like that, I'd be in a lot of trouble every day. I have to really think about where I am and what I'm doing. But afterwards, when I was doing the press junket and I, and I did the tonight show and, and I, I, I traveled around the country and was explaining it to people. And I saw it in time magazine, I did realize something what special was going on because the concept was so innovative. Uh, it wouldn't have had the impact it did. Tron didn't have the expected impact that people were hoping for at the time and it actually you know people just just pushed it to the side for the longest time which you know you never know what how it's going to be received and but i think the fact that steven lisberger held strong to his ideals is one of the reasons it held up over time um he it it wasn't a mcmovie he really had a, a vision and he held to it and then that's where that's where the art of show business coming comes in having a real strong vision um, and meaning it, not just it's it's not just about ego. It's, it's it's really what he believed, and it really transferred through. So I think that has a lot to do with it. Well, what about for you? You know, you talked about shooting against this black background with with gaffer tape. What's your reaction when you first see the film? Because I have to imagine there's no dailies because of the C- no. CGI and hand animation. Dailies. It took them like eight or ten months. They, they this, this this footage. I mean, just 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 this was labored. I mean, I mean, there were just layers and layers and layers of cells that were put together to make each frame of footage. Um, so many, so many months in 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 post production. Um, so when I finally saw it, I was I was just I didn't know what to think. I, I mean, I, it wasn't anything like what I saw. I saw the Sydney graphics. I saw what it was going to look like, but I wasn't at all prepared for it. And 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 again, I'm I don't I'm not a big fan of watching my work anyway. So I was I was floored. I really just didn't know what to think. And Carson asked me, "What did you think when you saw it put together?" And all I could say was, "I was stunned. <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know." Um, and now when I say see it, I just love it. It's it's beautiful. It's it it and and in the Blu-ray, it's gorgeous. And and it and it has a a, a charm and a warmth and an impact that holds up. And I, I like it a lot. Yeah. And, you know, we were talking before about sort of, you know, now in 2012, you have a way to get direct and personal immediate reactions from fans. You know, yes. back in 1982, you don't have that sort of direct connection. You don't really know right off the bat nothing. what that response is going to be. Nothing, nothing. All I'm hearing is filtered through my agents, managers and attorneys and bless their little hearts and souls. Uh, <laughs> I should 
a lot of the time it wasn't accurate the feedback I was getting not even close I mean so so um I'm really glad that these two films did as well as they did I mean you gotta know that after you know first doing Caddyshack and not being allowed to work for a couple years you're an attorney you, you, yeah and my and you want to go where where was my agent where was my attorney where was anybody um there was nobody and then and then and then Tron not being as received as well as as everyone had hoped 30 years later you gotta know I'm smiling just a little bit Lou. And <laughs> <laughs> just just a little. I'm not saying much. I'm letting other people do my talking for me because I think that's more polite. But um, you got to know I'm smiling. Yeah. Well, you know, and one of the things that always fascinated me about the film, you know, we talked about how most of it was shot against this black background, but there was that sort of our side of the world stuff. You guys actually shot over at Livermore Labs, and for those yeah. of people who don't know, it's a nuclear weapon national security lab. How That's right. we, you wonder <laughs> how the how hell did we get there? <laughs> how did Disney get to go, you know, to shoot to shoot a film there? That's a damn good question. I suggest you ask somebody at Disney. I have no idea. I mean, I, I had somebody ask me a couple of weeks ago. So, honest to God, they said, so were you given a map of the place? I said, listen to me carefully. <laughs> they don't give you maps of this place. You go in, you get on an elevator, and you go like 10 floors underground. There are no maps. You know, there's no online, you know, no. The fact that we were in there at all. I, you know, believe me, I understood how controlled the environment was just by the way the nervousness of the people around me. I, I, I mean, I was picking up on it, and, and, and to the point where I don't know if you've heard the story, but at one point there was a there was a, a, a blocked off area. There was a little taped off. It, 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 there was a raised piece of tape about six inches high. It was it was blocked off. Well, my makeup trailer was over there, and I had to go there for something. So I'm like, these guys are busy. I don't know. They're going to be tied up for another twenty minutes talking to each other. So I'm going to go to the makeup trailer. So I make a shortcut across this tied up area, and everybody goes stop. <laughs> <laughs> and there's like the whole place stops and freeze. And I'm freezing, and then these texts come running out, and, and it helped me uh, back through and to get my shoes, and they're decontaminated. I'm like, holy Christ, what did I just, excuse <laughs> me, like, okay, get that out, just what I just said. I mean, just, uh, what did I just step in, literally, not just figuratively? So it was, uh, yeah, it was it was exactly what you say it was, and I have no idea how we got there or how, what we were doing there, but I, I know we would just, again, it was, we were taken to it, and, and people were asking me these questions, and these are good questions. Well, you know, did you get to meet people? Did I, are you kidding? I mean, I knew they were there because when I stepped in the wrong place, they all flew out. But no, they don't chat you up. They don't give you a map. They don't, you know, you don't get it. Somebody actually asked, did you get a tour? I said, are you kidding me? Did you not hear what I just told you? You don't get a, this, is not, this is not a place that gives tours. I, I have no idea why I was there. But, but it was great to have been there. And what a great group of people. They were very kind. They were very accommodating. Um, great place to work, but clearly a controlled environment. Yeah, I just, I kind of picture in my mind how that conversation goes somewhere from Disney says, listen, we want to make a Disney movie about a guy yeah. who goes into a video game and we want to do it in this nuclear weapon security lab. Well, again, <laughs> you know, um, the, 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 the cool thing about, and the, and the thing that, that causes a lot of sense of responsibility about the entertainment industry is that it does carry that much weight. Um, when, when Caddyshack, I'm, I'm still doing the book on, I'm trying to finish it, uh, on my app crack, the book on the making of Caddyshack. Ca the, those guys at Warner Brothers, were, well, Orion films at the time, were given the keys to the state of Florida pretty much. Those, those water sequences were shot in three different counties from what I can tell. Um, and we were just shooting aimlessly. The golf course was blown up. They gave these guys <laughs> gasoline. I've got photos of the gasoline truck pumping it into the, mining it. They mined the golf course with gasoline and the people who owned the golf course were sent to a party 
they watched, they said, no, you're not going to blow up our golf course. And then they're watching the news at the party and they watch their golf course being blown up. The next day they painted it green and they blew it up again. I've got photos of the tarp <laughs> and the gasoline trucks and the three story fireball. This is not amazing. So the fact that somebody said, this is Disney, we'd like to shoot there. Well, let's see what we can work out. You know, well, control your comings and goings. So, so the entertainment industry is, it does wield a lot of power. This is a media determined society for sure. So, um, it, but, but again, it also carries, I would hope, in some cases at least, a lot of responsibility because um, people believe what they see in here and you want to make sure that it's at least accurate, if not responsible. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's interesting, these two roles, again, literally worlds apart, but I think the not films, yeah. yeah, but but the films themselves are, are somewhat parallel because they do stand the test of time and they're being introduced to new generations and still being yeah. enjoyed by those of us who saw it in the theaters. And and for the most part, other than maybe the clothes, you can watch both of them with really no sense of them being dated per se. I know what you're saying. It's, 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 a, it's astonishing, but the coolest thing ever. I mean, that, that they're holding up over time. Uh, 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 and it, what an uh, I mean I've known better actors, more beautiful women, people who had better business contacts than I did, and how lucky for me to have been in both. So very very lucky. So as time goes on, um, and, yeah. and uh and you hear about the making of Tron Legacy. What's your sort of reaction initially when you hear about that? I wanted to see what they were going to do. It was it was it was interesting, and there were all kinds of opinions and camps and people with storylines because it's thirty years later picking up the story, and 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 there was an, in between there there was a game a video game that was made that you know and 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 you know in the sci-fi world you know you know people keep saying well you're in the movie you're not in the movie you're dead you're alive what do you think <laughs> and I just keep smiling going it's science fiction anything's possible I got time I got all day. Remember what I said when I was on the set of Caddyshack? I got all day. Take your time. So we'll see. I, I, uh, I, I, I thought it was a, a visual feast. Uh, it's interesting to see where the story is going to be taken. But the important thing to always remember is these films belong to the people, the fans who kept it alive for 30 years. Yeah, there's a whole new core market. When, when, I, when I go to appearances where before my demographic was specifically 79% male, I know because I get the stats, um, now I'm meeting young women I'm talking about in their late tweens or early 20s who love the Yori character. Mm. This is this is astonishing and incredibly cool to me um, because, as you say, a whole new generation of people who love the film. Yeah. And she's a strong woman in a science fiction film that 30 years later right. still sort of, you know, look, your role kind of transcends the film. It became uh, very much sort of an iconic and sort of a cultural touchstone, especially for women. I know, and, 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 and how glad was I to have been part of that. As far as Lacey goes, a lot of guys, you know, go on and on about how Lacey walked around and it was clear when I wear the Fila shirt, she was, Lacey was flawless. <laughs> but let me tell you, uh, that was a political statement. Uh, uh, women had just literally or figuratively burned their bras. So again, she was, I made strong choices for Lacey because Lacey had just, it was shot in 1979 and women had just fought for all these rights. So Lacey was, came from not a, what can I get away with? I want to get into trouble kind of a mentality, more like a strong, okay, I just came into my own. Now I'm going to take it all. <laughs> so that's who Lacey was. So, so hopefully again, a strong character and, and, and coming from a position of strength, no matter how it plays out, I think is, is always a good thing to do. I don't know, but that's just my opinion. 
Yeah, and I think it's, you know, the, the characters and certainly look, the film itself was important. You know, John Lasseter, who heads obviously Disney's animation, you know, said without Tron, there would be no Toy Story. And I think uh, the strength of the characters had a lot to do with the, the success and the longevity of the film as well. Well, people don't fall in love with um, graphics. They fall in love with, so they, they, they find form an emotional attachment with the characters in the films. So yeah, that was that. What thank you for that, and that is kind of important. And I Graphics can gorgeous. right, and that emotional. You look, I I saw that emotional attachment firsthand. I saw it at the expo. I saw it at MegaCon when oh, yeah. guys and girls are are lined up to to meet you and talk. So other than maybe asking if you're single or if you like skiing, <laughs> skiing or bullfighting, you know the reference. What oh, do they say? Go, what do they say when they come up to you? Uh, you know, it's it's. It, I can see all kinds of thoughts. I mean, I'm reading all kinds of thoughts going across. Well, mostly the, the the young women who come up because they like Yori and Tron, unabashedly are just. They really, really are so glad that there's a character that they can relate to that makes them feel empowered and strong, and that is such an honor, to 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 have played thirty years later to have people reacting to that. Uh, they feel empowered. They feel strong, and 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 they they're so happy. I mean, it's just it's 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 just a, a wonderful thing to see that I can't even I can't even put into words their the, the emotional response. It's just it's just wonderful to see, and 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 the guys who come up have a few more agendas, but <laughs> but but again, it's it's sort of cool to see, and again makes me smile that they just that that and it's 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 it is it is a good feel. It, it's a wonderful feeling, and I've just. I just shake my head going, I, I must have done something right there. So, so that's, this is pretty cool. Um, and, and very much enjoying it. Um, and it just, I just think that nothing changes over time. I mean, it just lets you know that nothing really changes. So that's why, that's why I mean, I hate to compare it, you know, things that people fall in love with that came before Tron and Caddyshack obviously will still continue to hold up over time. Yeah, and look, the, the Tron franchise looks as though it's going to continue for years to come. There's an animated series. So. There's talk of another film. Yeah. Maybe Yori will so. finally make a reappearance. But Well, so there's you, plenty of Yori Live sites all over the darn place. I was going to so. say, Yori has her own oh, yeah. you know, cult fan following online. Yeah, yes, she does. I, I, I think it's, again, um, this, this was a case. You want to know how it happened, Lou? It, had I actually been in Tron Legacy, I don't think this phenomenon would have occurred. Uh, because I would have just been part of the package, part of the franchise. But because Yuri was not included, suddenly a man from Sweden at, at, at an event I was at a year ago said it most clearly, most articulately. He said, you're part of our family. Where did you go? <laughs> um, pr pretty much. That's the, the feeling a lot of people have. So had Yuri been included, it wouldn't have created, again, this emotional reaction so that people wouldn't have been asking about the, the department, where it was. And because people ask, again, it's most polite to let other people do your speaking for you in a case like this and more effective. And more and more people asked and then websites started and this was picked up by the press who were kind enough to to reiterate the question and, and acknowledge it. So it, it just gave it life. It breathed life into this phenomenon, which I'm still shaking my head about going, cool. <laughs> and, and thank you. Uh, what am I going to say? Thank you um, for that. Yeah. So I'm, Absence, absence truly does make the heart grow fonder. Thank you. That is, that's the most beautiful way of saying it. 
absence has made the heart grow fonder. May I quote you, Lou? Absolutely. I stole that line from someone, but feel free to attribute it to me. Well, yeah, <laughs> I'd say that really uh, says it well. Thank you. Yeah, that's that's pretty much it. But you have a lot of other things going on, too, and you alluded before. Has the From Catholic School to Caddyshack book, is it is it coming soon? Is it something we can start Rewrites, rewrites, rewrites. <laughs> and, and, the, and because, oh, you're going to love this. You're an attorney. So get this. I have the rights for the purposes of the first inception of the book, which is going to be a coffee table book. The reason is I have the rights to 1,700 behind-the-scenes images. Wow. For the purposes of the first book. It's 80% written. After I turned in an 80% draft, I went into rewrites. So I, it's the, And my, my literary agents took the book and spread it out on their conference room table and rearranged it in another order. So I've got my version, their version, and fleshing it out to do. That's three things at once, and I've just got to finish it. All I've got to do is look at the pay picture and tell a story, just like I'm telling you today. And uh, uh, there, therein lies the challenge. So I'm, I'm trying to put this through line to the story. I, I'm going to, I have to pick a lane here. I have to get, my, get a storyline so that it has continuity throughout and then, and then integrate their ideas my ideas and the storyline. And, and I asked my, my literary agent, who was also a good attorney, I said, am I going to be sued? He goes, oh, yeah. just tell. <laughs> he, he said, just tell the truth. I said, no problem. Gotcha. Because I was there. He, I, he, he said, the interesting thing is, uh, because you were there, you have a First Amendment right to tell your story. And, 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 and I treat it this way. I mean, yeah, there was a lot going on in the set, as I'm sure you know, and I'm sure you've heard. But, but, I, but I, treat, I tried to tell the story in the same way that Caddyshack was, was presented. Lighthearted. There are a couple of issues I'll, I'll address directly. Um, you know, um, yeah, it was, it was the biggest party atmosphere ever. Yeah, we did a lot of things that were specific to 1979. Um, but I'm not glorifying a lot of the parting because within one month after the film, our favorite person on the film, producer Doug Kenny, died. So everybody adored him. He's he was everybody's favorite person. So so I do address what went on. I do talk about it, but then I go on and tell it with a lighthearted. Okay, all that aside, this is what went on. Yes, Rodney was a nervous wreck. Yes, the two of us were having lunch. You know, because they would just have lunch whenever the spirit moved them. There would be food rolling out. We'd sit down. We would eat. Yes, we were up all night partying. Yeah, they took the golf cart keys away from us. Why? We were driving around the green in the middle of the night because we didn't see a problem with that. And when they took the keys away, don't do that to somebody like me because I learned how to hotwire them in five short minutes. And we were still driving around in the golf course in the middle of the night. And yes, then the next day we would roll through because makeup, hair and wardrobe were in the same building where we were staying like some kind of. It's actually now a dorm for FAU, Florida Atlanta University. It was like a big dormitory. So we would just roll out of bed, run through makeup, hair and wardrobe and just get scooted back out onto the set. Okay, now what? So, yeah, that went on for six weeks. <laughs> you bet. The longest and best party I ever went to. So all, all the other things aside, it was an astonishing uh, opportunity and so so amazing to have been there. It was, it was pretty cool. And Tron, too. Um, loved it. I loved doing it. It was, it was a lot more serious than the caddy show. It wasn't the party carnival atmosphere. Let me tell you that. We shot on the Disney lot. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and us having lunch in our Tron costumes with all the studio suits around us is pretty interesting. <laughs> and they would show up down in the set to watch us work. And I'm like, guys, there's nothing going on here. I'm going to run from here to there and say something, you know, so there's <laughs> nothing to see here, but okay. You know, hang out if you must, there's really, you know, it's not as, there really wasn't, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't visually. And again, you would think in Caddyshack, the, the grips and the crew was laughing because people say, were they laughing all the time? 
I've got photos of them falling asleep on the group truck. <laughs> they weren't paying any attention to us. They thought we were smart Alex who were out of control, and we were. So, so you know, the fact that either of these films saw the light of day and, and did what they did is, is a, 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 a darn miracle and happy and lucky to have been a part of them. Well, I can see why the, you know, as anxious as we are to see the book, I can see why it's being delayed because you do have a lot of other stuff going on. Well, I'm well say- I do have other things going on and then there's a rewrite. I mean, I understand <laughs> what they're saying. It would, they took it and put in another through line. So I'm like, fine, I, I can integrate your concepts, but I still have to have a story. You know, you guys, are, you know, this is not a testimonial. This actually is a story. So, so I'm working, I'm working on it, you know, and, and, and I, and I had to reprint it. Oh, and then I had the, 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 the joy of having my apps crash and my iPad and, uh, you know, and then lo- loaded it into a PC and, and my graphic designer is a wonderful person. One of like one of my best friends on the planet. And she's so patient with me. She's like, okay, I got it. Just send it to me. And so she's, she's, she's a great graphic designer and she's re re she's an, an editor. She works at a publishing house in, in New York. So this is, so I've got great people I'm working with again. So I, I, I'm just lucky. I, I just really lucky to be working with these people. So yeah, it's going to be done, but, uh, what a good time to get it out then during Tron's 30th anniversary. I think uh, that would be a good time for stars to collide. What do you think? Absolutely. Uh, I know a lot of us. But, you know, people could also, you also, and I think this this is what I love, is that you're very accessible. People can find you, uh, if they go to your website, at cindy-morgan.com. I'll put a link in the show notes. You do hey. a lot of events, too. You do D23. You do the Megacons. Sure. And you can find sure. out about other events you have coming up as well. Sure. Um, yes. Yes. I'll be. I'll be at WonderCon next week, and and uh, and and Comic Con this summer. And Comic Con. Have you seen Comic? You were talking about MegaCon. Have you seen Comic Con yet? I, I. This may be the year I finally take the plunge. Oh boy. This. Yeah. I, I'm going to talk to you after you. <laughs> <laughs> it's an athletic event. You better be in good shape. Stay hydrated and uh, have your have your wits about you because it's 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 quite the event. But. Again, if someone is active in the industry and you are, let me just say, if you're active in the industry, this is the place to go. So, so yeah, I'll, I'm going to be a Comic Con this year, I, I, I believe. So, uh, yeah, it's it's something to see. You you got to see it to believe it. Awesome. Well, hopefully, people who are listening will head out to uh, check you out there. They'll also check out Cindy-Morgan.com. Cindy, listen, you. You know, you were fortunate enough to land not one, but two roles of a lifetime. Fans continue to enjoy your work. They line up to meet you, hopefully for years to come. I, I can't <laughs> thank you enough. 30 years in the making, this interview finally happens. I can't thank you enough for taking, <laughs> taking the time to talk to me today. Well, Lou, you're, you're a sweetheart, and, and, and how charming for you to put it that way. Thank you so much, and uh, yeah, uh, yeah let's, see, let's see how this year shakes out. Then you'll have to do the follow-up interview. That ought to be interesting. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you, Lou, for your time, too. Thanks. It's time for the Walt Disney World Trivia Question of the Week, where I'll ask you a question about Walt Disney World history, maybe a little bit of trivia about a current or former attraction or show, maybe play a random sound clip or quote a line from an attraction or show and ask you to identify where in the world you may have heard that clip. The winner will be selected at random from all the correct entries for a chance to win a Disney prize package. But before we get to this week's question, let's go back to last week, go over the question and the answer, and randomly select our winner. 
So as you know, last week, we mentioned a restaurant in the show, In World Showcase, that was located on the second floor of the pavilion. And I already gave you Bistro de Paris. So last week's question asked you to simply name each of the other World Showcase sit-down restaurants that were located on the second floor of the building in the pavilion. So again, other than Bistro de Paris in France, the other two were both located in Japan. It was Teppan Edo and Tokyo Dining. And again, we took all the correct entries and all of you got them correct and drew one random winner for a prize package that consisted of all six audio tours of Walt Disney World on digital download as well as a $25 Disney gift card so you could go over, enjoy some of those restaurants or maybe some shopping on the World Showcase Promenade as well. And last week's winner is Molly Warren. So Molly, please send me your address. I'll get those guides and the gift card out to you right away. Thanks again to everybody who played last week. If you didn't win, that's okay because here comes this week's Walt Disney World Trivia Question of the Week. So, of course, this week's show is all about Tron, where we talked to Cindy Morgan. Tron Uprising is starting on Disney XD this week. Really excited to see that franchise continue on TV on a weekly series. So, speaking of Tron, before the Tron Rail, the Tron overlay-themed monorail, came to Walt Disney World to promote the Tron Legacy film in 2010, there were plans for another, different Tron experience in the Walt Disney World theme parks. So the question for you this week is to tell me where and what it was supposed to be. Just name the theme park and the type of experience that was planned. Email your answers to contest at wdwradio.com by 11.59 p.m. on Sunday, June 10th. And I will once again draw a random winner for a prize package that consists of all six of my audio tours of the Magic Kingdom and Walt Disney World on digital download and a very special Tron Vinylmation. So again... Email your answers to contest at www.radio.com. Tell me what and where the original different Tron experience was supposed to be in the Walt Disney World theme parks way back when. Good luck and have fun. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thanks again for taking the time and tuning in this and every week. Thanks also to my guest, Cindy Morgan. I'll post links in this week's show notes where you can find out more about Cindy as well as some of her upcoming appearances as well. Speaking of events, I'll be heading up to New York City this week to speak at Blog World and New Media Expo. Also going to be having a meet on Saturday, June 9th, starting off in Bryant Park. So if you're up and in the area, please come by and say hi. You can find out more about this and upcoming events, including Meets of the Month in Walt Disney World and our very special event, which is going to kick off Epcot's 30th anniversary celebration this fall, our private dinner and show at what I like to call the American Adventurers Club. That's going to be Friday evening, September 28th. Tickets are on sale now. I can tell you it is going to be a very fun, very special event. Great way to kick off Epcot's 30th anniversary. Uh, Other events coming up, not just in Walt Disney World. Again, you can find all those on the events page by visiting www.radio.com and clicking on the events tab. While you're there, be sure and check out our blog, videos, discussion forums, and lots more. Don't forget, I love hearing from you. So if you have a question you want me to answer on the show, you can email me at lou at wdwradio.com. Call the voicemail at 407-900-9391. 
please keep the conversation going by commenting the show notes. Please also come by, follow me on Twitter and Facebook. I comment and, and post a lot there. Also have some uh, late updates on some things that are going on. On Twitter, I am at Lou Mangiello. Same thing, facebook.com slash Lou Mangiello. You can subscribe there as well. In addition to the podcast and the videos and the blog, be sure and join us live every Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. Eastern for WDW Radio Live and the WDW Newscast, where we talk about this week's Walt Disney World news in a live interactive chat discussion format don't worry if you can't catch it live that's okay i'll post the uh, videos on the blog on our youtube channel you should come by and subscribe over at youtube.com slash wdw radio and i'll post the audio in the itunes feed as well quick thanks to my partners and sponsors including mouse fan travel they're not only my authorized and recommended travel provider it's who i use it's who i'm using when i go out to disneyland for destination d this summer and whether you're coming to Walt Disney World or on a Disney cruise or Adventures by Disney, visit mousefantravel.com for a great level of personal service, all available discounts, all at no additional cost to you. When you're coming to Walt Disney World, you want to stay right in the heart of Disney, have access to great restaurants like Il Molino and Blue Zoo and Shula's and Kimono's and lots more. And of course, the heavenly beds, visit swananddolphin.com. And maybe you want something a little bit bigger, bring in the extended family, some friends. You want a home with your own master bedroom or game room or kitchen, pools and spas. AllStarVacationHomes.com has more than 150 within just a couple of miles of Walt Disney World. And if you want some Disney magic delivered every other month right to your front door, you can go to CelebrationsPress.com. You can subscribe to Celebrations Magazine, order back issues. You can also get it now. Every back issue is also available in digital format on your iPhone or iPad. Quick link to the iTunes store. Visit www.radio.com slash celebrations. As always, my friends, and you are my friends, whether we have met yet or not, all I ask is that if you like the show, please help spread the word. Let others know about it. Tweet out that you're listening. Share links on Facebook or Google Plus or Pinterest or other discussion forums. And please come by, rate and review the show over in iTunes as well. I am so excited for what the upcoming days and weeks and months have ahead for the show. Looking forward to sharing that with you as well. And I hope you wake up every day excited about what you're going to be doing and that you do something you love each and every day. You believe in yourself and your dreams and always, always keep moving forward. So until next time, thank you all so very much for taking the time out of your day and your week to listen to the show and let me share my passion for Disney with you. I hope you have a great week, everybody. So until next time, see ya. Umanchello, while I enjoyed your coverage of Star Wars again, I find your lack of Ashley Eckstein disturbing. May the Force be with you. Hey, Lou, it's Jen from Milwaukee. And I'm calling to share one of the songs I sing on my Disney vacation. Making memories will last forever. Making memories will make you smile. Making memories with the family. Making memories in Disney World. Yeah! Hey, Lou. It's Janie from Chicago. I was just giving you a quick call to let you know we just got back home here to Chicago from Walt Disney World about... uh. Oh, half an hour ago, um, we had a um, long evening, afternoon, evening of traveling. We had to make uh, two planes. We had a connecting flight from Orlando to Atlanta and then from Atlanta back to Chicago. So a lot of Disney people on the plane leaving, going back home. So everyone was kind of sad. You know, it's always sad to leave um, 
one of the most magical places on earth. Um, but I did want to just to call and say again, thank you so very much for the trip. You and Becky were just, it was incredible. The, you know, trip that we won from the 40-hour show, the things that we got to do, the resort we stayed at, Port Orleans French Quarter, it was just so beautiful, and just just everything. The trip was awesome. You know, we slowed down, we enjoyed things, we watched, you know, shows and entertainers that we really never stopped to see before. You know, we looked at details of things. You know, we just took our time, you know, and slowed down like you always say to do. Um, I got to meet up with a lot of my WDW radio friends a couple nights there. I've um, had the pleasure and privilege to meet you and Deanna and the kids, and I sincerely thank you for taking some time that night to meet up with me and my mom and Kayla. It means more to me than you know, and I'm going to try not to cry. Um, just thank you again for a great trip. It truly meant a lot to us, and you're just the best, and I am so happy to call you my friend, and you and Becky did an amazing job. Thank you again. I will be... um posting a uh, trip report uh, later this week on um, the forums, so make sure you check that out. It will be under um, EOR79 as my screen name on the forums, and I've just got so much to share and so many pictures to share and stories and um, just, you know, everything that we did. So, again, thank you so much. Um, Kayla had a blast. My mom had a blast. It was just... It was a great trip. You've got a friend in me. Yeah. End of line.